0: Please remain standing for the reading and hearing of today's scripture. Today's scripture comes from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, taken from the message. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, "Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit." And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk, ooh, God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together, hand and glove. This is the word of God for all people. You may be seated. I don't often choose to preach from the lectionary. I have always been one to buck the system, if you will. I hated essays in high school and college. I don't want to be told what to read, let alone what to write on. Our speech class in college, oh my word. She would give us a topic, and I would go completely the other way. I hated it. So when I was preparing for this sermon, months ago, I had three or four sermons ready to go. But it seemed like at the time, I would use them in a different context. It might have been something formal, such as a 10 o'clock devotion, or it might have been something as informal as a conversation. So when pastor reminded me yet again that I would be preaching this Sunday, I thought, I've used up all my good stuff. All right, what am I going to do? So I turned to the lectionary. And in the lectionary this month, this week, this week, um, is the, the verse, the chapter from James. There were, I don't know, three or four other scriptures I could choose from, but this one just stuck with me for a multitude of reasons. It's Labor Day weekend. So why not talk about deeds, about works, But I wasn't really sure how this was going to go. And so as I dove into the idea of James, I thought, you know what? I haven't spent a whole lot of time getting to know James. Maybe I should. And so, in studying, I learned a few things. James, the author of this book that we are in right now, was a son of Mary and Joseph, and therefore half-brother to Jesus. Hmm, that was interesting to me. In the Gospels, though, James is mentioned a couple of times, but you know what? At that time, this, isn't, this is really interesting, he misunderstood Jesus' ministry, and he was not a believer. Did you hear that? James, brother of Jesus, was not a believer. Ooh. But... James was also one of the earliest witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And if you can't be a believer at that, I don't know what's going to change your mind. But we don't know a whole lot about James. He's not one of those main characters that just sticks out. He's not a Paul, right? Paul can't seem to keep his mouth shut or his pen down, you know? Trust me, I love Paul. He's fabulous. He's fabulous. But as I learned a little bit more about James, I started to relate a little bit to him, to understand that he is kind of an observer, you know, one of the quiet ones that sat in the back and just watched, made up his own mind, had his own ideas about what was going on. In James, chapter 1, verse 1, he identifies himself, but simply describes himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you pay attention to the book of James, his letter deals really more with Christian ethics than it does theology. Ooh. The theme of the book of James, is the outworking of faith, the external evidence of that internal conversion. Take some time and sit in James for a little bit, if you get an opportunity, because his life provides some important lessons for each and every one of us. In fact, his conversion gives testimony to the overwhelming power that came from being a witness of his own brother's resurrection. He turned from being a skeptic to a leader in the church based on his meeting of the resurrected Christ, not his brother, Jesus. I like James. Even if some of his thoughts in this book caused a little bit of a stir in the theological circles, that's okay. Sometimes in order to grow, we have to cause a stir, right? So, this question of faith versus works is faith alone sufficient to be saved, or should faith be accompanied by works? It seems to be one that many Christians struggle with. I remember sitting at Grafton Church forever ago. I don't even know. Forever ago. Got to be 20 years now. Listening to someone that I truly admired stand in the pulpit and tell an entire congregation. That faith alone is what gets you to heaven. And I, like James, sat back and thought, well, but are you sure? Are you sure, faith alone? That doesn't sound right to me. So, as I've grown and studied over the years, I see James's point. At a glance, that question, that question of faith versus works, that question of, is faith alone enough, looks like one that any Christian can answer with a simple yes or no. But let me tell you, it may not be that simple. Truth be told, Jesus dedicated plenty of his time to the answer to that question. He used parables such as the Good Samaritan. Lazarus and the rich man, the vine and the branches. I hope today that I can clarify the answer to that question from the book of James. Because the Apostle James answers the question in a much more straightforward, cut-and-dry, black-and-white way. We're going to cover three Three main topics today. And that first one, this is a good one. If you if you take notes, write this down. Faith without works is words without deeds. Hmm. James insists that faith without works is good for nothing because it cannot save us. Now, you might be wondering, well, then why did Paul teach us that salvation is by faith alone and not by works? See, there's, there's that contradicting thought process. But you have to remember who James is. He has a unique perspective as the brother of Jesus. James isn't saying that we are saved by works. No. He is saying that we are saved by faith, but confirmed of our salvation by our works. Okay, so what kind of works confirm our faith? Definitely not sacrifice. That's not one of them. Keeping any of those religious traditions, that's, that's not on the list either. But James tells us what is. In, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, but if you fulfill the royal law as expressed in this scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So really by works, James actually means by treating each other with brotherly love. Because without love, faith is dead. And therefore, it's not going to save you because love is the only outward sign of true faith. Now we do know. Other religions also teach. Their people. To love everyone. Then what difference does Christianity make in the salvation of man? All those religions teach we are saved by our works verified by faith. But only Christianity teaches that we are saved by faith and confirmed by our works. A living faith, living faith, is expressed by works and deeds and actions that are motivated by love. Some of us might even be guilty right now because we have failed to treat someone with such love at some point. Maybe we've preached to people about salvation when they needed to be fed. Perhaps we blame, I don't know, the government and social workers and society for the misfortunes of the society, but we haven't done anything on our own to make or spark any change. Well, then what do we do? It starts with us, with you, with me. It starts with us treating each other with that neighborly, brotherly love. Because that's what God expects us to do. And that love is best expressed in action and not speech. About, I don't know, six weeks ago maybe, um, I found us, our family, in a little bit of a tight spot. I don't know if you notice, but we grow giants at our home, and these children like to eat food three times a day, sometimes 12 times a day. And the way we set up our finances, I'm in charge of the grocery budget, and I'm in charge of making sure that we stay in that budget and there's food on the table. Well, during summertime, when the children insist on eating 100 times a day, there was not food on the table that I could count on. Now, mind you, okay, wait, wait, I, I don't want you to think that like when I open my cupboards, moths flew out. That's not the case. No. Um, Because I'm a a pantry stalker, but, you know, children are not, they're not going to just, like, throw some stuffing in the microwave and say, this is a great snack. No, of course not. And so I was whining, you know, we get paid twice a month, and I was whining to a friend about the giants eating us out of house and home, and I had another week until I got paid, and all I had was um, stale buns, hot hot dog buns, right? Not a loaf of bread, not a drop of milk, and I had told them, you listen, knuckleheads, you eat what's here or else. Well, if you've met Kendall, you know that she has her own agenda, and so she kind of went on a mini hunger strike. There's nothing good in this house. And by good, she means macaroni and cheese because I think she's a walking noodle. So I was venting to a friend, whining, as I do, you know, when I can't control things. We were fine. We were going to be fine if I could just teach my kids to eat something different. But I opened my door the next morning to groceries on my front porch. And not, like, stock your pantry groceries. I have that stuff. But I'm talking, like, mac and cheese and a loaf of bread and peanut butter for the three of us that eat peanut butter because the other one's weird. Um, And at that moment, I could see her faith. Because she just heard me complaining, you know. And, and she's, just, she's just my friend that I love. We complain to each other. We cry on each other's shoulders. We laugh at each other's mistakes. But I saw her faith in those three bags of groceries. And that ridiculously sugary cereal that I think she was trying to get back at me for. Oh well. I could see her faith in her action right there. And I praise God for it. Remember that love is best expressed in deeds, not speech. The second point I'd like to make is, works are the natural result of faith in God. Faith and works, they cannot be separated. Either they coexist in the believer, in you and I, or they don't exist at all. Because doing good, being good. Doing good works are the natural result of faith in God. Where there is faith, there are works. And without works, there is no faith, James tells us in chapter 2, verse 18. James goes on to tell us that intellectual belief just standing here saying, I believe, by itself cannot save us. Even the demons believe and tremble, but God condemned them because they disobeyed. There's not much difference between those demons and the Christian who doesn't obey what he already knows. It's obedience that distinguishes us from the bad. Not what we know, what we feel. James is also implying that it's impossible to say that God once wanted people to do good works, and now he wants them to do nothing. He is one in his mindset. God cannot disagree with himself. He can change the plan, but he can't disagree with himself. He is God, after all. Instead, salvation is a gift. Resulting in people, people no longer having to live by the Old Testament law. And the natural output of believing in that salvation is doing good works. Which is what God really wants. We don't come up here and sacrifice a lamb, do we? No, that would be gross. The cleanup on that would be a nightmare, wouldn't it be, Jeff? Woo! The promise of faith and works are like the theory of cause and effect. Every cause has an effect, and every effect has a cause. One simply does not happen without the other. In Christianity, faith is that cause, and works that lead to salvation are its effect. It's true that we are not saved by deeds, just like that preacher in Grafton. We're not saved by faith alone. We're also not saved by deeds alone. But it's also true that we are saved for our deeds, our good works. The third point I'd like to make this morning, are works are essential for completing our faith. It's really silly to say that faith by itself is sufficient for salvation because the Bible tells us otherwise. The faith of Abraham is just one example. His faith and actions, they worked together hand in hand. His works completed his faith. And that's the faith which God credited to Abraham as righteousness. By faith, Abraham when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, his own son. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his child, his only child, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham conformed to God's will, not only in thought when he reasoned in his mind that God would even raise the dead, but he conformed to divine will by his works the moment that he bound and placed his child on the altar in obedience. To God's command. The example of Abraham indicates that James is talking about a second kind of works here, right? Jesus said that those who love him will keep his commandments. Abraham obeyed because he loved God. Did you hear that? He obeyed because he loved God. So, works also mean obedience to God, not out of obligation, but out of love. When you clap your hands, do you clap with one hand or two? Two. Just like we need both hands to clap, salvation also needs both faith and works. Think of your right hand as your faith and your left hand as your works. Cut one off and your salvation becomes null and void. Works are not the root of salvation, but they are the fruit of salvation. Faith brings you To salvation in Jesus Christ and works bring that person, that saved person, to fruitfulness. Let us pray. Father God, it is a privilege, a privilege to be called according to your will. Help us to be like James, to have a different perspective. Help us to know that, yeah, we're faithful people, but if we're not faithful people who put that faith into action, we're fruitless. May those who encounter us every day see the fruit of your call, of your love, of your grace and mercy in our lives. All day and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But go in love, bearing fruit through your faith and through your works. And have a happy Labor Day. We'll see you next week.